With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. I just want to say thank you for your support, and and I see different comments and likes. I really appreciate that. Also, for those of you who may not know, you can follow us on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Well, today I have a wonderful new author that she is talking about some serious matters, but in relation to children youth, teenagers, uh, social justice, gentrification, um, police interactions. Um, and, but it's put in a nice little package, and the book is called Take Back the Block. Good morning, Crystal D. Giles. Hello, how are you? I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for waking up. I know a lot of people sleep in on Saturdays, so I appreciate you waking up and um, talking to us this morning about your great book. Thank you for having me. I have a five-year-old son, so sleeping in on Saturdays isn't something I get to do often anymore. Yeah, I remember those days. Oh, my God. Right. It's like you they wake up, like, with such energy and verb, and you're like, where the hell did you get all this goddamn energy? <laughs> you know? Um, uh, but um, so, so you're a mom. And, but, but he's a young kid. Do you, you plan on writing any books for little kids? Because this book is for, like, teenagers. Yes. Yeah, so I have written um, – I started out writing picture books, and I've not published one by myself. I do have a poem published in a picture book. It's called Thank You, Poems of Gratitude. And so that's a book he can read. And I've also done some writing with a, um, an education company for a curriculum. So at some point, I hope to move into that space as well. But my debut novel really had um, all the makings of this character, and he's in the middle grade. Um, He turns 12 in the book, and so he was the right character at that age for this book. Now, I understand you were an accountant, or you are an accountant. You're, You're like the money person. What, where, how did the, the writing situation come about from accounting? That is, yeah, that's true. I have an accounting degree, um, and I still work in the finance space. And so I've, I've always loved accounting and numbers. I um, was a part of an academy of finance at my high school. And so since then, I knew I wanted to be in that space. Um, but as a young person, a very young person, I love to read. Um, going to the library was one of my favorite things to do. 
and mm-hmm. I really would escape into the pages of a book as a young person. I never really thought about myself as a writer, though, um, until my son was born. And so I started, along with my husband, to collect books for him and his library because I knew I wanted him to be a reader like me. Mm -hmm. And to be quite honest, I was saddened that I could not find enough books with little black boys on the front. I wanted, um, I got the classic books that I read as a young person, but then I also wanted very particular books. I wanted to find books about happy black children and fathers and all of those things, and it was very hard for me to find. And so I kind of went on a a research craze, and I, I found so many statistics that were disheartening about the lack of diversity in the children's book space. And there were some books out there, but just not enough. And so that actually started me on a path of writing picture books. I remember taking my daughter to the library. I, I can still, in my mind right now, remember the smell, like the smell of going into the library of the books. Not a bad smell, like the, like the book smell, the paper. Um, right, and it's right. so it's so funny because um, I also my family was a family of readers, so my parents always had books around. Um, I remember my stepfather reading to us, and so I grew up reading, and I took my daughter the same thing to the bookstore to the library. And it's funny that everybody doesn't read, though, Crystal. You know, that's a very... You are right. Um, you go to people's houses, they don't all have books. Everybody does not have books. And it amazes me that because I have so true. many books, you know? <laughs> that is so true. I, I, I don't know how some people kind of go to the reader route and not. It may be like you said, you grew up in a house of readers and books were important to you. And books were important to me, um, and so maybe that's why we read as adults. I'm not sure where the disconnect is. I do know that oftentimes I hear educators and teachers say that young children, um, they don't connect with the books that they have to read in school, and so sometimes they lose interest over time. Um, And then I also think we have to fight with technology because with movies and social media and Netflix and things like that, people probably tend to gravitate to that instead of picking up a book. So I am in the book business, though, so I, I, hope, yeah. I hope readers, I hope we can, we can start a new generation of readers or at least um, get young people excited about books because yeah, definitely. So I think your book will you know? do that. I think your book can do that because when I was growing up, um, I was falling in love with the main characters, but unfortunately they were white, female, or male characters. And also the um, the male, there would be a lot of male characters. There were not a lot of powerful uh, female characters, you know, smart, um, not just pretty. I mean, all the female characters were always like the pretty, this pretty woman. She, there, was, there was rarely a female that would be, um, you know, into martial arts or different things, you know, just different aspects to her as a, as a woman, as a young, as a young woman. But your book, you have that, and that's something I thought was really interesting. So we have the main character. Uh, he's a cool dresser. You know, I like that. Uh, and he has a group of friends. But I also like that you had some of the female characters, and they were different. They weren't all the same. Some were smart. Some was into pretty. Some was like, and that's what life is about. 
there's all these varieties of people, all these varieties of African-American people as well. Tell us about Wes a little more. I, I told him about he likes to dress. What else can you tell us about Wes? Sure. So Wes is the main character, and like you said, he's a stylish kid. He's cool, and he likes video games and basketball, and he likes puzzles. Um, however, he does not like being dragged from one community event to another by his activist parents. And so, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, there's some, there's some strong women characters in the book. Wes's mother is one of those. And so she's trying to teach him about the community, and he'd rather be doing kid stuff. So um, throughout the story, though, Wes does find his voice, and he starts to realize that his community, he lives in a neighborhood called Kensington Oaks, and a powerful developer comes in and kind of targets this neighborhood for redevelopment. And so throughout the story, Wes finds his voice, he gathers up his group of friends, and they come up with a plan to save their neighborhood. Um, his, the neighborhood is where he grew up. It's also where his mother grew up. And so there's a lot of family ties there. And Wes doesn't want to leave throughout the story. Now, so did he you... learns about the history. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, did you um, experience gentrification when you grew up in your area? And if so, what did your community do? So I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there's lots of gentrification happening around me. I did not have a direct experience where my neighborhood was kind of overtaken. Um, But because I grew up in the city, there's so many parts of the city that have changed. I did grow up in an area um, so if, if you go to that area now, it's totally different. I went to an elementary school that was in, quite honestly, one of the poorest neighborhoods. I think at some point my elementary school was rated like last in the city. And so when mm. I go to that space now, the neighborhood behind my elementary school is full of million-dollar homes, and Mm-mm-mm. the neighborhood in front of my elementary school is still the area that I um, that I lived in, and it's still very much lower income. And so I didn't have a direct experience where I was like, you know, boots on the ground fighting, but for sure a lot of the areas I grew up in as a young person, areas that like my grandparents lived in, they're completely different yeah. now. Um, and so I wanted to bring that that almost sadness, that weirdness that it's very hard to explain. You know, gentrification is a process that some people don't understand fully. It's a process that some people go, well, what's wrong with it? It helps the city, and there's so many conversations around it, and I don't know if we really look at it on a personal level. So I wanted to bring the personal level into a book so that we can see all of the changes that happen when neighborhoods are overtaken. Yeah, you not only talk about Wes's story, you talk about some of his friends' story, and one of the interesting ones was um, Carrie or Takari, I think that's how, is that how you're saying the character's yes, name? it is. And, yeah, Takari. And, yes. um, yeah, that he has a little winding road of the story, and he was uh, in an area where that was gentrified, but he has a different family dynamic than Wes does. Wes is actually, even though he might be considered living, I guess, in a poor area or whatever, but he has a, a whole family, his mother, his father, 
They're very involved in his, you know, upbringing. Like you said, the mom is taking him to community meetings. And um, Takari is a little older than him, but he doesn't have his father. Um, they're living – well, I don't want to give too much away. But they, they, had, they have been <laughs> displaced. Let's put it that way, you know. But one of the things that is um, very nice is this issue of family. You know, there are people that are our blood relatives, and then there are other people that step in at times and become your family. Have you experienced that in your life where there are other people that you didn't, weren't blood-related, but now they're your family? Yes. So one of the things, one of the things of the book that I think stands out the most is community. And so um, you really described that very well because it's, it's a thing that I really wanted to get through um, with the book itself because we should be thinking about community um, on a small level, but also on a big level. And so in my life, I grew up with my mom in a home. My parents were divorced. And then I also spent a lot of time with my grandmother. And so I kind of had two communities. And we were in one city, and we weren't that far apart, but I had friends in her neighborhood, and I had friends in um, the neighborhood where I lived with my mom and my siblings. And my my grandmother, you know, I like to call her a community. She would invite any and everybody. She'd feed people. You know, she always mm-hmm. had a baby she was taken care of. Sometimes oh they were gosh. direct family. Yeah. Sometimes they weren't family. And so See? I got a very mm-hmm. early sense that, you know, community is just like you said. They don't necessarily have to be blooded to whoever you bring in. Um, and then I also had a very active um community at my church. And so we had a ton of service events there. And so as a young person, I was always involved in community in the sense that it didn't have to necessarily be your family, but for sure, um, the local community was still your community too. Now you do have some funny things and some just typical, you know, young people things like um, kissing, you know, the, some of the characters get caught up in, did they kiss, did they not kiss, whose fault was it? Uh, that's between uh, Maya, I think, was that Maya and, and Takari? Is that, and that's why they don't, they, they're having a little argument going yes. on. Yes. Do you remember your first kiss behind the school, or was it in the little alley? Whip? <laughs> Should I? Oh, wait, I, I don't want to give you away. Your husband first... might be upset about this. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Okay, so you may or may not have heard the story, but that's okay. So I do remember my first kiss, and it was actually in the neighborhood, like after like a summer camp day or something like that. And the boy was actually my boyfriend at the time or so, and I think I was 12. But it's, it's very important when you're writing for young people to bring in things that they think are fun too, right? Because it's one thing to, to teach and talk about things that I think are important, but if you can't wrap them up in a funny package, if the characters don't speak to kids, they won't read the book. So that was one of the things that I wanted to do. I really wanted to put real kids in the pages and show, hey, look, we were all young once. These are the kind of things that happen um, at these ages. So, yeah, um, I I tried to bring in as many funny, cool moments as I could. Now, I found out that you belong to the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. I was uh, speaking with Walter Mosley just recently about how important it was to join different organizations um, that support you as a writer. How has this organization helped you? 
So I entered into this space, like I said, I, I didn't have a writing background at all. I came from the business world, and mm-hmm. everything was finance, and it was black and white. And so I was really a fish out of water when I started writing. And so I linked up with SCBWI. Um, I joined some critique groups, and I have a lot of writing friends that are a part of the um, organization. They put on conferences. They're a national organization, but they have regional um regional kind of groups as well, so you can link with your regional groups. And they are actually starting an initiative that I'm super excited about. It's um, Equity and Inclusion, and it's an initiative they really started um, this year, and each region is going to have an equity and inclusion um, team. And so I am actually co-leading the team for the Carolinas region. I'm super excited about it. So we're going to start doing a whole lot more programming that's inclusive, a whole lot more scholarships and grants and things of that nature. So I'm very excited. Um, The organization has been around a long time, and they do a lot, and they have amazing conferences, and they really support the writing community. But now we get to add this inclusive part to it, and I think um, we'll see a lot of great things come out of it. Tell us about Pitch Wars, because that's kind of what was a catalyst for this book, I believe, correct? Yes, it was. So um, I decided to go all in. So I applied for every possible mentorship I could. So Pitch Wars is a mentorship slash revision program, and you apply for it. It's a very small chance of being accepted. I think the year I applied in 2018, there was like a 1% chance of being accepted. But there are Mm, mentors. Yeah, it, I mean it, it's very competitive. I don't I don't know I knew that at the time because I don't know if I would have applied, but right. um thankfully I was selected and um I got paired with a mentor and you enter this really fast-paced revision. And so you have about 3 months to revise a lot for your book. And so and during that time I actually rewrote the whole novel and at the end of the pitch wars revision cycle there's an agent showcase And it's really competitive, and it happens very quickly, but you post um, your pitch for the book, and agents um, read the pitches, and then they select. So anybody who knows about the book world or doesn't, if you want to be traditionally published, you need an agent. And agents are very hard to find. Some people... um, query and look for agents for years. You know, some people have been looking for agents for five, six years. And so I had queried this story and had not had, um, I had some luck but not a whole lot of luck getting an agent. So the Pitch Wars um, Agent Showcase was like the catalyst, like you said, it pushed me kind of ahead and I got some really good eyes on the book. And so that is actually how I found my agent through, through Pitch Wars. That's amazing because, I mean, this is your first book. I mean, so many people, like you said, for years are trying to, to get their work out there. Um, do you think the Internet has helped you in terms of networking? Because um, in the past we didn't have, you know, that access, like a quick access. You could look up an address, a phone number, you know, organization such as, you know, the, the, the Children's uh, Writers Association things. I mean, did, did the Internet help you at all with this? One hundred percent. I like to call "Take Back the Block" the book of hashtags, and that's because <laughs> I, I found I found so much um, 
on Twitter. And so I can, the internet for sure, I can definitely speak to how Twitter has been helpful. Twitter is, is a space that a lot of people shy away from just because it can be chaotic, and it is chaotic. But um, if you can find your corner and your people, it can be helpful. So um, along with Pitch Wars, which I found through Twitter, I applied there. Earlier in 2018, I applied for another mentorship called um, With We Need Diverse Books, an association that really just helps kids see themselves in the pages of a book, and they have a ton of great programming that centers around diversity in children's literature. And so I got a mentorship through them. I found them on Twitter. Um, And then ultimately, my publisher, I found – through my agent, but the editor had liked one of my pitches through another mm-hmm. Twitter pitch contest um, for Diverse Voices. And so all that to say, I would not be where I am had I not found the writing community on Twitter. So, yeah, the modern technology. Thank you, Twitter. Really pushed. Yes, absolutely. Modern technology Thank you, Twitter. pushed us forward. <laughs> and like I said, it could be a toxic place at times, but if you can if you can block out the noise and go on a mission to use it in in ways that are helpful, I can I can testify to that. What were some of your uh, favorite authors when you were growing up? Did did you have certain books that you kept reading, or you might have kept even now, and you wanted to pass on to your kids? Yes. So, in the novel space, I remember Roller Thunder Hear My Cry by um by mm-hmm. Taylor. I feel like yes. everybody <laughs> that was a book I feel like every young person read. That book I loved and that main character was black. And I think growing up there were so few black characters. I remember that one specifically. Um I love the Babysitters Club. I read a lot of those novels. Um they're actually back now being republished and they have um I think there's a movie on Netflix and all that, which is really cool. Um my favorite picture book as a young person was Mafaro's Beautiful Daughters. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. That book I loved. And it wasn't necessarily, when I think back, it wasn't necessarily about young people, but it was in a in a picture book format. And so that story I looked to. Yeah, it has beautiful, I, I think, did it win an award about six illustrations? I don't know. It but did. It, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture book. Um, if anybody wants to check it out, you guys should pick it up, as well as Crystal. Giles book. Don't forget about Crystal. Okay, um, I'm going to be giving some copies of your your book away. So um, I want to encourage people to follow me on social media. Where can people follow you on social media uh, in the internet? Yes. Yeah, so my website is crystaldgiles.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at crystaldgiles, and then my Twitter account. Um, where I'm probably more active. It's creatively Chris. So it's creatively, and then Chris is spelled C-H-R-Y-S. All right. Now, i got a serious question for you. Okay. What's up with the grits? I heard you like grits. <laughs> you need to tell me and the audience, girl. okay, how do you make your grits? What do you put on your grits? Because this is a okay, this so is the question, okay? <laughs> this is serious, and it's so funny because I actually ate grits this morning. So here's the thing. Sugar All right. does not belong on grits. Okay, sugar what? does not belong on grits. I see people okay. talking about sweet grits, and it's like, yeah, no, that's not it. Grits okay. are supposed to have salt, if you're into salt, pepper, and you can put butter. 
If you like cheesy grits, cheese is fine. Sugar okay. does not belong on grits. I don't know who these no sugar, sugar grits people are. No. What? Grits have okay. more of a savory taste. They're not supposed okay. to be sweet. So they're not. You heard it here first, people. Okay. <laughs> no sugar on the grit. Okay. Now, what about honey? Could you put honey? No. If, okay. if you want to okay. eat oatmeal okay. or something like that, I'm not a big oatmeal Mm-mm-mm. eater. But if you want to eat okay. oatmeal, you can put that's some different. fruit and honey on that. That's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's different. Okay. No, no sugar. <laughs> no honey. No sugar. No sweet okay. stuff. Now, what- what other foods do you like, uh, southern foods that um, you think are, like, the bomb and you can't get them anywhere else? So, first of all, I'll say this, um, sweet tea. So, there's this thing. So, sweet tea in the south is very different than tea up north. I have a lot of family members in, like, the Jersey area, and it's so weird because when you go up north and you order tea, it's not sweet. And it's like, what is this? So, yeah, they, the they usually have no sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's that's not what sweet tea is. So southern sweet tea is 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 a thing. Um, of course, there's like all of the soul food staples like macaroni and cheese. Um, so many iterations of macaroni and cheese now that have all this kind of weird stuff in it. And <laughs> I like what's the weird taste. stuff? Tell me the weird stuff. What's the weird, tell me something that's weird that you, that you wouldn't put in your macaroni and cheese. So I see all kinds of – I don't really love meat and macaroni and cheese. Now, there are okay. some things when you go places and it's kind of fancy and it's like a lobster mac and cheese or whatever. I'll go for that. I've had but that, I yes. But I see mm-hmm. people putting all kinds of random meat. I think that's weird. I think it turns it into a different no, type of No, no meat in the macaroni and cheese. Yeah, no, no, I, no, no. And I that's not like macaroni and cheese. It's not. I like it baked with that crusty top. Uh-huh. You don't it has have to, to have that crisp. It has to have the crisp. It needs to have brown. People do breadcrumbs. I do mine without breadcrumbs. You can get the top mm-hmm. toasty without breadcrumbs. Um, yeah, I don't do so breadcrumbs, sure but I, I want it to be brown and toasty. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. definitely. <laughs> I, I see with all kind of. I see people do it weird, and it's like, yeah, you don't have to have that. Um, I love cornbread. I feel like cornbread in the south is a little different too. Than it is in different places. Do you put places. pieces of corn in it? Because you know some people put pieces of corn in there. I've tasted it different ways. I do not have corn in mine. I think okay. cornmeal is fine. But I, I have I've had it with corn. Um, yeah. I, and and I and I liked it that way. It just depends. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is funny. So what are you working on um, next? Uh, coming up, um, what's what's your next book that's going to come out? I re- heard you're coming out in 2022 or something. Yes, I have another book releasing next year with Random House, and it's another middle grade novel. It's contemporary. This time, instead of it being set in an urban setting, it's set in the rural North Carolina. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about it because it's a story that I want to tell. It's also been a little bit of a challenge for me. Um, I think because I'm promoting this book, I'm drafting another novel and I'm editing this one. And so this book, it really challenges the perception of black boys in like the American society. And it also involves a lot of cool stuff. I get to um, include some really cool music in it. And I get to include um, some of the kids are playing chess, which I think, will lend to a lot of really good metaphors and things like that. And so that book 
Um, it doesn't have a title yet, but it, it'll be out sometime summer or fall of next year. Wow. And she's a mom, people. And she's a wife. Like, when do you sleep? <laughs> when do you sleep? When do you have your me time? You know, self-care is very important, okay? Don't forget about Crystal. Self-care is important, and I have not done a great job at that. I have to admit the pandemic has been extremely hard for self-care. Um, I hope at some point we'll get it together and our government will serve us in the way that they're supposed to, and, and we'll, we can get back to a little bit more normalcy. Because I, I do love self-care. I just have been neglecting it over the past bit. Um, you know, my son's been doing virtual kindergarten at home, yeah. which is very challenging. And so there there's so many things that take away from me time. Um, but I'm deadline-driven. I like to get things done. And so I guess right now, I am pushing as hard as I can to get things done, and I hope one day very soon I can take a pause and a break, and maybe I can go on vacation. I don't know when that will be. Well, I'm going to suggest that you take at least one minute in the morning, try to just be by yourself in quiet time, even if it's like 530 in the morning, because you got to refresh yourself. Um, We need you to be around to continue writing these wonderful books. I agree with you, and I, I will do better. I, 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 <laughs> this is my mommy voice, okay? <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Crystal. Um, thank you so much for coming on this morning. I hope you have a great weekend. Good luck with your son and the schooling and this drama COVID, and I hope that, you know, you're able to continue writing these wonderful books for us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Um, and thank you for supporting the book. I, I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Come back on when you do your the other book, okay? I'd love to have you back on. I will do. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, Bye. for tuning in. Um, I just got off the phone with Crystal Giles. Um, we're talking about her book, Take Back the Block. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about food and uh, kids and first kisses, uh, but the book is really important. It's dealing with young people, uh, gentrification, and how they handle that and how the community around them uh, rallies together. So I hope that you um, pick up the book. I'm going to be giving away some copies of the book. Uh, Stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking about eating disorders um, with Dr. Good in a couple seconds. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.